Welcome to Career Tools. Today's topic, maintaining recruiter relationships. Hi everyone, this is Mike, and welcome back to Career Tools. You know, in today's slow economy, we don't want to need a recruiter and then discover none of them remember us. Almost no one but some very smart senior executives reach out proactively. But you can do it too. And today, we're going to tell you how. Here we go. I think a lot of folks, you know, a lot of our listeners are sometimes slow to realize the value that recruiters have in the market for talent. We tend to kind of focus on those who we think are the gatekeepers, right? I mean, and and the are, folks who can hire us, well, managers yeah. and executives who are yeah. doing the hiring. And for many professionals, we scope too narrowly on the gatekeepers, thinking simply, you know, quote unquote, HR. Yeah, we, we focus on a company and then we think, okay, who would hire us? It's a manager there. And, you know, I want her to hire me. Great. And then we think, okay, but we got to get through HR. And you, you hear that sometimes when people say, oh, yeah, Mark, well, it doesn't really matter. It was just a screening interview. Oh, and I, I'm really nice, nicer than most people think. But I just want to shake them. Like, dude, <laughs> if you don't get through the screening interview, <laughs> you don't get the actual interview. So the screening interview is just as important in its own time as the actual thing. But yeah, people tend to focus on HR. And and the fact is, recruiters, recruiting firms, executive recruiters, whether they're retained uh, or whether they're contingency, they absolutely play a key role in keeping the overall talent market, if you will, something that 30 years ago didn't exist. But thanks to a lot of demographic changes and, and uh, economic changes, there really is an understanding of the talent market. They make it much more efficient than it would be if they didn't exist. It's not a great analogy, but very loosely, it is analogous to the stock trading world, right? They're they're bringing buyers and sellers together of, of talent together. Yeah, yeah they, they make a market. You know, the people on the floor, the the, the stock exchanges. Uh, there are firms whose job it is to make a market to to help buyers and sellers come to an agreed upon price in the middle where a buyer will pay what the seller will accept. They generally don't have that kind of impact in terms of uh, in terms of the price. Recruiters do bring buyers and sellers together and it just seems crazy that if a person is out of work in Seattle and is willing to move to Jacksonville, Florida or even for that matter Madrid and the recruiter knows that the person will and knows about the opening that they could fill. Gosh, it would be a shame if the recruiter wasn't there, right? Right. Yeah. So firms that know that this market exists out there, they have PR folks that go out and sell themselves to analysts, right? And the analysts yeah. then put on buy recommendations or sell recommendations. You hope buy recommendations. Yeah. So let's assume we all don't have personal PR folks. So <laughs> so so if this if this recruiter out there is helping to make a market, how are they going to sell us if they're not aware of us? Yeah, I, I think the answer to that is they're not. <laughs> and, and to be fair, look, we, we did a cast a couple of years ago, how to contact a recruiter. 
We explain how to begin to form that relationship with a recruiter. And this is not that cast. If you've not listened to that cast, please go back and listen to it. Uh, in this cast, what we're doing is we're encouraging you to stay in touch with the recruiters you already know. Now, let this be a wake-up call to you. If you're sitting there right now listening and saying, I don't know any executive recruiters, you're at a noticeable disadvantage. You and somebody else who has roughly equivalent skills as yours could be considered for a job, but you won't be because only the recruiter knows the job exists, hypothetically, or if in fact the recruiter does know it exists because they have a relationship with a hiring company and they don't know about you, the person they do know who has a background like yours is going to be favored over you, not because they're they're prejudiced against you, because they literally don't know you exist. Okay. So before we go on with kind of our recommendations for contacting recruiters, I use the term executive recruiter. So does what what level does this cast oh, great apply? It, it applies to everybody. Everybody. Look, everybody. everybody. Okay. The, the whole the, one of the great things that's happened in the last 30 years with the talent market is when markets exist, firms and specialists rush in to try to to try to make to reduce the friction that exists in the marketplace. And of course, they charge money for it. They economically reduce friction by charging money for it. So yeah, everybody listening to this potentially could be talking to a recruiter. Now look, if you only have a high school degree, you know, if, if you're 19 years old and you're listening and you're at a fast food restaurant, if you work at McDonald's, which regardless of what people say is one of the greatest places to start a career in America, certainly, and there are similar type jobs all over the world that people look down upon nowadays, but quite frankly, are a great place to start learning about how to be a professional and how to be a part of a team and so on. But for the majority of people, I would say 90% of the people who are listening to this show right now, there is somebody who does something relative to the kind of career you want that you ought to have a relationship with. You may not be their top person, but particularly if you're in a technical arena, there is somebody who specializes in your technical arena, and I'd be willing to bet specializes in your technical arena in your geographic area. There are recruiters that specialize in industries, in individual companies, in specific areas, in specific parts of the country, in people who speak certain languages. There are all kinds of commutation, combinations and permutations. So please don't turn off because you're thinking we said executive recruiter because there are recruiters that reach down to almost all levels of all organizations. Okay, good. Thanks for yeah. Thanks for sorry about that. that. Yeah, good. Okay, so now we've let's assume folks have if they haven't already, they're they're obviously going to go back after this cast or even prior to listening to the rest of this and listen to the cast we did a couple years ago on how to contact a recruiter. Right. But assuming they've done that in the past, they contact a recruiter. They they had a relationship with a recruiter. They haven't spoken to them in a while, and they want to reestablish contact. Actually, I, I would even say it a little bit simpler. Even if they have talked to them recently, what we're recommending is a specific way to stay in regular contact, to maintain contact with a recruiter who already knows who you are. Okay. And, and if you don't know, you go back and listen to the cast, you reach out, you create some relationships. And in six months, you start doing this after you've established a relationship. And we're making two major recommendations, which is what to do. And it boils down to sending an email. It's very simple cast, folks. You can, it will be done very quickly here. And then secondly, uh, when to do it. Simple. All right. So let's get right into it. That's the outline. So, right. <laughs> well, so, Heck so, of an outline this week. So what do we do? Yeah. 
a brief tangent here, 30 seconds or a minute at the most. We try to make it, our recommendations as simple as we possibly can and no simpler than that. We know sometimes we go long. We try to be as short and sweet as we can. We think the more background information everybody has, the more we're all going to be able to best apply career tools recommendations in our particular situations. Some of us work in unusual workplaces. We have unusual work structures. We have unusual backgrounds, unusual family situations. And we feel the more you know, the more you're able to act wisely. Sometimes that means we add five minutes to the cast to explain, here's why this is the way it is. Because if your situation is unique, you may need to know the why to be smart enough to modify slightly our recommendations. In this case, though, it's very simple, and we can't imagine anyone not benefiting from this very straightforward recommendation, which is we recommend you send an email. You know, we don't think we understand. We need, we need to explain email to anybody. Everybody complains about it, so we assume, therefore, it's fairly ubiquitous. The reason we recommend email is ease of receipt. And there's a whole series of casts to be done, not all of them actionable, unfortunately, about why email is such a scourge because it's about efficiency rather than effectiveness. But you want to send an email because it doesn't put an undue burden on the recruiter who's probably exceptionally busy, but it does break through doing nothing at all. The great thing about email, of course, is it's asynchronous. You don't have to spend time with the recruiter when they're free, which is going to be very, very hard for you and for them. Exchanging five voicemails with a recruiter is not fun for them or for us. Email communicates uh, what you want them to know, allows them to read it when they can. Uh, don't expect a reply back. This is just a way of you maintaining contact. It's a, it's, it's a ping. That's all it is. This is a recruiting ping. And probably a voicemail would be too long. And e even if it wasn't too long, it's going to require note taking because they're not going to remember it. Uh, if you're not actively involved in a search with a recruiter, you're not in their short term memory. Okay. So, so just to be clear here, you're recommending that folks send emails and they don't make phone calls. Right. In terms of maintaining contact. Now, let's say you were to do it, you know, we talk later about when, but it, but let's say you did it four times in a year, just, you know, once a quarter, you send a note. It wouldn't be wrong in the third quarter to, to, to leave a voicemail or a voicemail and an email. Hey, I sent you an email a week ago, just wanted to give you an update on where I am. It's that simple, right? It's just sending an email. But if you're sending an email and then calling two or three or four times, you're you, now you're irritating the recruiter and it's not necessary. All we're recommending here is sending an email on at most a quarterly basis. Good. Okay. And, and as we said before, look, if you don't know any recruiters, this cast is not going to mean a whole lot to you. You've got to go back and you've got to listen to our cast on contacting recruiters. Good. Okay. So now, now that we've, we know that we're going to send an email once a quarter at most, right? At most. Right. Right. What do we say? Yeah, super easy. You got four parts, okay? The personal greeting, you have a little bit about your recent successes, you have a part about your near-term goals, and then you have a sign-off wishing them well. Think of this email as a little, not a lot, but a little like a handwritten note. Good notes follow a simple pattern to make it easy for the recipient to get what they need. After the salutation, which that's that's formal talk for the recruiter's name, <laughs> You have, you have these four paragraphs. And, and technically, the last one is a paragraph, but it's really just a short sentence. And basically, because it's email, remember this, no more than three, in a couple of cases, maybe a fourth sentence per paragraph. That's it. Don't send a long letter that happens to be in an email format and goes by email protocols. Don't attach anything. What's that? 
And don't attach anything either. Oh, I was, was going to ask that. I said, well, then could we put the more more details in it? A lot, no, uh, they're attachment. not. No. Look, they're not going to read it. And and I don't know, when people are touching base with me, they're not sending me attachments. Uh, maybe if it's a real close friend, I get a picture or something. But don't send your recruiter pictures. <laughs> <laughs> and if they want your resume, look, they'll ask. Okay, so that's what that's what most people would think about would yeah. be, hey, should I send them an updated resume once a quarter? But no, no, just just email. No. Okay, no, yeah, no, good. Okay, so so let's just take them each each paragraph in turn. The first is the personal greeting, right? The first paragraph of any note is really simple: one to two gracious comments that focus on them. And to make it as easy as possible, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a couple of examples. And if you want to know where these examples came from, other than a couple of small changes to protect the innocent, they came right from people who sent them to me. Because people think of me as a recruiter, even though I'm not. And here's a little hidden gem for you in this cast. You can send this to people in your network, not everyone in your network, but some people whom you believe are not recruiters and yet have contact with a lot of potential jobs. Okay? And it's just a personal greeting. Here, here are two examples. One, I hope this note finds you and finds you well. I uh, hope your holiday season was wonderful. I thought I would briefly update you on my professional situation in case an opportunity arose that you felt I ought to consider. That's one. Or, second one, best wishes in the new year. I'm sure you have plenty to do, so I just want to briefly update you, period. Two sentences right there. Okay? So that's the personal greeting part. It's after their name. <laughs> that's in, in the email. The next paragraph is your recent successes. After your introduction, the second paragraph is just a review of key accomplishments. I put quotes around accomplishments for now. From the previous six months to a year, okay? But obviously, if you're going to be doing this every quarter, you don't want to be talking about things in a quarter. These are highlights. We're not trying to put out every single bullet on your resume. Don't send a portion of your resume copied into the note, okay? You're not trying to get them to read your resume, you're trying to stay in touch. If you have more than three bullets, it's probably too many, and that works out well in terms of the number of sentences. Now, an another point that's sort of subtle but worth remembering, keep in mind, you may choose to highlight something that is not really one of your top accomplishments, but one that's either interesting in light of the economy or an industry issue or a timely trend or a timely skill that's of interest to, to someone. For instance, if you were on the team that successfully restructured an 1,000-employee division, when in fact there was a downturn going on, that would be something you might give more visibility than normal, even though it may not lend itself to a really specific uh, tangible accomplishment. If you were noted for cutting expenses without layoffs, that might be of interest. If your firm was leading a new technology implementation and you were just on the team that did it, that might be in your note, even if you can't claim credit for all of the results. If you finish an executive MBA, if you got promoted, if you gained more directs, even if the other manager was lost due to a layoff or something, these are the kind of things you might consider including relative to your accomplishments. How about a couple examples? Right from notes people have sent me. In the past two quarters, my group reduced expenses 33% without layoffs. I finished my MBA, parentheses, thankfully, exclamation point, close parent. And I led a team to finalize our division's move to Philadelphia due to the merger. This is a, a drug company, a pharma, big pharma company. Or another one. I just received approval to attend the Center for Creative Leadership's Executive Development Program in Q3. And our product rollout is 7% ahead of plan despite the downturn. I like that one. It's, it's something about development and also something about results. 
You know, do, do you think that for some folks might shy away from that? Because it sounds a little bit like bragging, right? And I think folks are uncomfortable with that a little bit. Yeah, I absolutely agree. We respect the fact that people are uncomfortable. You know, there there is a saying in Texas, it ain't bragging if you've done it. <laughs> right, yeah. But we also know that some people aren't comfortable selling themselves. And I, I, you know, I, I don't know, we, we can't get inside people's minds and flip that switch on or off, right? So you're going to get over your reticence. What I can say is it would be a shame if your reticence to do something that is accepted as normal and reasonable and is not considered salesy or marketing-y at all in the corporate world, it would be a shame if your reticence built on the wrong supposition, if you will, cost you an opportunity where you could you could share your skills more with an organization that would benefit from it and you would benefit more as well. This is part of the currency, if you will, the, the, the economic give and take that exists in the talent market, recruiters learning about you, unfortunately, from you, right? It's one thing to go to, to, go to Oxford or Harvard, and then we learn something about you, not from you. We learn, we learn about you from the quality of the school that you went to, for instance. But in this case, in your career, as you're, as you're moving forward in your career, if you don't communicate relative to other folks who do, professionally, respectfully, not beating their chests, if you don't do that, you're devaluing yourself. We just would just ask, please don't do that. There are people or organizations who need your skills. Someone needs your skills beyond your present employer. And unfortunately, if you don't share because of your reticence, they may not benefit and you may not benefit. So let's let's try to get over that. We're not going to beat anybody up about it. We're just going to say we wish you wouldn't. Yeah. Sometimes to be successful, we have to do the things that yeah. we are uncomfortable with. Yeah. You don't get paid to do the stuff you like. You get paid to do the stuff that works. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Now, thir- third paragraph, you, you, you said earlier that uh, give them some examples, some near-term work goals, kind of what, what you're working on yeah. type stuff. This, this is the cool part of this cast, in my opinion. This is the one that people miss. It's an area where many folks just leave it out. They don't think it has value. But look, it, look our accomplishments are great. They're necessary. We've got to have them, right? But there are always companies looking for unique skills and needs change fast enough in the same way that you'll be working on different things in the next quarter, probably, than you are now. If the recruiters don't know that you are or will be working on something of interest to a hiring manager, and so in other words, your company has already decided you have skills in that area, which would be of interest to another company that's potentially similar to yours. If the recruiters don't know that, how can they consider you for an opportunity that you haven't worked on yet, but you are? You know, I've had it said to me, about someone that I was suggesting. A recruiter said, gosh, Mark, I wish he didn't know to be working. He was working on that when he was. He just told me about an accomplishment, but the opening I had was 60 days ago and it's already filled. That's why we talk about things we will be working on. That's exciting. Recruiters like seeing that. It says this person knows that what is current is of all other things being equal are is currency adds value. And the great part of this is that because you're going to be working on it, you will be working on it. It's not quite something that's going to show up on your resume yet. Yeah. To some extent, you're getting credit for it before you even do it. Yep. Yeah. And sometimes if it's a three-year project, why wait three years to get credit for it? You're working on it now. Yeah. Because the resume is always backward looking, but companies are always forward looking in terms of their needs. Right? So third paragraph, we recommend noting one to two areas of interest 
or areas of related to work or related to future accomplishments, potential accomplishments that are in your near term, which is really about one to six months into the future. And if you like, I've got a couple of examples. I'd love some. Okay. Here's one. I've just been tagged to work on the division realignment and I'll be working with my peers on a 20% budget cut process that will be done in March, period. Oh, I, I like that one because folks are interested in, in folks who can manage budgets right now, particularly yeah. given the challenges they're having. Plus the fact that you gave a date gives something for the recruiter to hang on to. Maybe I'll check back with them in March and see how that went. And you can remind them, hey, I said we were going to be done in March and we in fact got 21.1% or whatever. Yeah. Here's another example. I'll be rolling out new quality standards in Q2, which will cut costs by 9% annually. And despite our 11% growth, I have been given the go-ahead to reduce headcount due to productivity games. I'll keep you posted. I like that one. Yeah, I like that too. I'll I really like productivity gains personally. Yeah, better than better than cost yeah. savings in yeah. a lot of cases. At least, at least um, enlightened managers think so. Yeah. And then lastly, fourth paragraph, right? All we do is sign off and we, we, we wish the recruiter well. You start with the recruiter, you end with the recruiter, and that's it, that. That's the, the bread, if you will, in between the two pieces of meat and the middle two paragraphs, which are about what you've done and what you're planning on doing. And so just like any now, you, you sign off wishing them well. And, and here are two examples, probably overkill, but some people ask us for examples. And so we give them. I hope your year stays busy and productive. Best to you. And then you sign your name. Or... I know you must be swamped. Hope you have a great Q2. And then you sign off. What do you think about a signature block? Should you, a signature block, name, mm. position, you know, title? I, I'm surprised by that. I, I think um, I think a lot of people forget that internal emails, like if you look and 80% of your emails go to people internal in your company and you put all this information about your your desk number or your 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 Skype number, your this or that. I, right. I a cute little quote at the bottom. That. I'm sorry? A cute little quote at the bottom always oh, please, seems no. to get attention. No, okay. <laughs> no. Most professionals, most executives don't like signature blocks beyond your company and your phone number. Now, this is not the technical people saying it takes up processing cycles to use all that, you know, to put in that color and all that sort of stuff. Well, okay, fine. Other than your phone number and your company to identify you, much more than that seems like you might be a salesman. Now, look, if you're in sales, fine, leave it in. But other than that, just your name, your company, and your phone number is is certainly plenty. Good. Four uh, recommendations in terms of what to include in there. Now, are, is, is that it? Because I think you may be missing something. Yeah, when to do it, right? Well, I think we can talk about that. But I think in terms of the email itself, um, don't you think it'd be wise to have a, a fifth part of that? Probably it's like 4A, which is ask them to get back with you or ask them for a favor <laughs> or somehow, you know, make sure that they, they feel some sense of obligation to getting back to you. I'm sitting here thinking, no, I really, gosh, I think it's, I'm pretty sure it's four. I've been telling people it's been four for years and yeah, no, you just don't, you, you, you don't, you don't obligate, you don't attempt to obligate a recruiter with an email unless you are in an active search with them and you'll know when that's the you'll, case. Yeah, you'll know. No, it is as if it is a handwritten note. We're not suggesting you, you handwrite an email. Good luck with that. Um, but no, you don't obligate, you don't ask, you don't ask for feedback or follow up or please call me and let me know how things are going. Nothing. Okay. Just leave it. Okay. Yep. Good. Yeah. I think after a while, I'd probably get tired of people sending me emails once a quarter that obligate me to get back to them. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's, let's do talk about when to do it. 
When do you do it? Yeah, this is the easy part. The, the answer to that is now. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've shared, we may have shared it before on air, the story of Steve Mariucci, the former head coach of the, your beloved San Francisco 49ers, the yes. football team. And the guy who, you know, is a very successful guy. And I think he used to coach Cal, actually. And um, uh, clearly a guy who's bounded by time. The guy does not wear a watch. And when he's asked about that, when he's asked about what the time, he says, you know what time it is? I'll tell you what time it is. The time, same time it always is. The time is now. Dang it. (laughs) Do something (laughs) now rather than worry about how much time you have or what time it is. So look, send it now. Okay. It's not hard. Uh, I'm sure this cast will come out sometime in the first part of the year. It's Kurt Jules cast. So yeah. Okay. Look, we recommend you wear a watch. We're not saying that, but while this cast is fresh in your mind, send out a few emails. Frankly, we don't think you should be sending out too many because we're not recommending you stay in touch with more than two or three or four recruiters. And then as we mentioned at the start of the cast, what the really sharp professionals do is they send that email every single quarter or maybe every four or five months, updating the recruiter on what they've done and what their future holds. And if I can, you know, we mentioned about people who are reticent about doing stuff like this. We respect that. We do. And it bums us out that there are people who are reticent who would be better for the job were they willing to manage their careers or engage in a little bit of this talent market sort of economy that exists. So this is, to some degree, a personal plea from Mike and I and the rest of the Manager Tools team. Even if you haven't done so before now, make 2009 and beyond, whenever you're listening to this cast, make this the year that you really start managing your own career because I can assure you, no one else is. That's it. Good. That's simple. Two parts, what to do and when to do it and yep. what to do. Send an email, four parts, not five, like yeah, I was just suggesting. <laughs> a personal greeting, your recent successes, near-term work goals, kind of what you're going to be working on. Yep. And then simply just well-wishing sign off. There you go. And then part two was do it, when to do it, do it now. Now. And then once a quarter, maybe going forward. Yep. By the way, now, again, now. <laughs> now. All right, my friend. Thanks, partner. Take care. All right, everyone, that's it. And next week, as always, we'll have more for you. Hope to see you then. In the meantime, if you haven't checked out the Manager Tools interviewing series available on managertools.com, please do. The Manager Tools interviewing series is only $150, and you'll find 15 casts of the most actionable interviewing material you'll see today. How to prepare for interviewing, how to write a cover letter, how to prepare your resume, what to wear during the interview, the five parts of an interview, Horseman's Laws of Interviewing, and the five biggest mistakes that candidates make, how to make a good first impression, how to answer the question, tell me about yourself, how to answer behavioral interviewing questions, and examples of behavioral interviewing questions, as well as how to ask questions in an interview, how to close, how to handle the offer, how to handle salary discussions, how to follow up, and a special cast on how to handle phone interviews. You'll find it all in the interviewing series, and I don't think you'll be disappointed. You'll find all the information on the Manager Tools interviewing series at the Manager Tools website, www.managertools.com. All right, folks, we'll see you all again next week. So long. 